0: hi everybody it is uh let's see what day is today it is thursday the 14th of january um 2021 and i'm a little bit late because my daughter was having a fucking meltdown um crazy what is this ryan garcia said he wants to retire by 26 but told us if he does keep fighting it'll be in the octagon okay all right i mean Slow your roll, Ryan. All right. Uh, hi everybody, my name is Luke Thomas, this is episode 60 of the Luke Thomas live chat here on the Morning Combat YouTube channel. I am one half of the hosting of Morning Combat, and the other half is Brian Campbell, who will be here back tomorrow. Today on the podcast, we will get to, let's see, what are we going to get to? We're going to get to um, UFC on ABC1 preview, we'll get to, uh, let's see, I don't know, quiet questions, I saw some questions in there about Colby Covington. Maybe we'll get to that. Uh, a bunch of stuff. Whatever it is, for the most part, I will do my best to answer it. Thumbs up here, if you can, on the uh, on the vid and all that. And uh, without further ado, let's get this party started, shall we? All right, there we are. And then, of course, I want you to subscribe to this channel. We're only... Um, We're only, I think, like 15 subs away from having um, 75K subs. So we just need like 15 or so of you to click that button and we'll be in very good shape. So if you'd be so kind as to do that, it'd be greatly appreciated. All right? All right, so with that cooking, hope everyone's having a great week. It is a strange time. here in los estados unidos uh but what are you gonna do all right let's turn this off and then get going on this shall we all right uh where are your questions i will pull them up now we put these of course on the um Morning combat community section. That is where we put these. And so if you're looking to get involved, I usually post them either the day before or the day of, sometime in the morning or in the afternoon. So let's get to them now. All right. Okay, interesting question. Uh, Why, in your opinion, has light heavyweight become such a European-centric division? Eight of the top 16 competitors, including the champion, hail from Europe. And the champion from the next largest organization, Bellator, also has a champion from Europe. That is interesting. Um, Good question. I'm not sure I know the answer to that. I mean, the one that would pop up to my mind could just be it's a moment in time where you're just... This is sort of a natural turn of events. That's one answer. The other answer could be, um, you know, this is... You know, guys that size in Europe would be probably playing rugby, something like that. Or, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of opportunity for it. If you're like 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", you have to be really good to play high-level basketball. So I don't think they're getting recruited for that necessarily either. So my best guess on all of this is probably it's a function of um, these are a selection of athletes from a place where you're going to have a little bit of overfill from this particular category, because if you're this size in other sports, you can play a lot of different American sports, right? So you can play baseball, you could play basketball, it'll be a little bit harder, but you could do it, Um, obviously you could play American football, you could play, um, if you could drill down your size a little bit, you could play soccer. Uh, Of course, you can play soccer, obviously, in, in Europe, too. That's less of a thing. But, I mean, it's probably a little bit easier to make teams over here than it is over there. So, I'm guessing it's just what is available from the population um because if it's you know if there was like this massive wave of of european talent and obviously on some level there has been a steady growth of it but i mean if there were like a massive invasion across all divisions where like you're asking the same question where eight of the top 16 in every division was like this you would probably just say you know best practices across the continent just caught up but because it's sort of centralized around one division which is the kind of division where you're a little bit too big for soccer for probably the european side of things um, you could play rugby, but that would be fairly uh, super elite, I would imagine. And so you're getting some of the people who just don't necessarily fit directly into that into that category. I'm guessing, but it's a great it's a great thing to sort of study and wonder because, off the top of my head, I don't I don't know that I know the answer to that. In fact, I'm I'm certain that I don't. What do you think of USADA's updated THC regulation changes? Do you think it's played a part in Nate's return? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe one never knows. What do I think about it? I mean, listen, you know, it's hard to be, you know, you couldn't be mad at it, could you? I mean, you have to be really insane to be like, this is a terrible thing. It's not a terrible thing. It's, uh, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a more humane policy. Uh, it's a more scientifically defensible policy. It's a rational policy. Um, you know, it's a lot of things, uh, that I think are, it it makes it, it's good. It's good. It's a good thing. Here's the thing I just don't get. And I tweeted this out. So if you don't follow me on Twitter, maybe you should, or at least, you know, for a moment, just check my feed. I would encourage it unless I blocked you in which case, fuck off. But um I wrote an article. I interviewed Jacob Sulam from Reason Magazine. Now, I don't agree with Jacob on a, on everything or in fact maybe even most things, but he had a really he wrote a really transformative book that changed my opinion on a lot of things and it's called In Defense of Drug Use. And basically what it goes through is like it does not argue that there is no bad side to using drugs. Um you know, over the counter Tylenol can be lethal if you take too much of it. Of course, there are any number of ill effects that come from drug use. The question is, how do you mitigate those harms? How do you reduce those harms? How do you how do you live in the best kind of society where people might be able to get some productive end from it, but we don't throw people in jail who don't need to be there, uh, and we don't exacerbate the harms that come from um, having drugs in society? And so what you end up sort of realizing is that Much of what we understand about drugs is just nonsense. It's really not quite true. um, Very little of an evidentiary basis for it. And there is a good reason to have a much more permissive attitude about drug use in society. Okay, why is that relevant? Well, a big portion of the book is devoted to marijuana. And I recall reading in the book, you know, this must have been 2004 or so. I'm not sure when the book was published. I might be getting that wrong. But around that time, and I was reading it in paperback at that time. So it must have really been out for a while. And what the book clearly argues in, in that moment is they've done a lot of work on what constitutes field sobriety for marijuana, how do you determine it. And in the book, it's quite clear, uh, and then of course the, you know, he's not just making it up, this is all based off of existing research at that time, that uh, your analysis cannot tell you when somebody used just that they used marijuana. Marijuana is really quite interesting, right? Because, uh, because it's fat soluble, uh, it can stay in the body much longer than, say, cocaine. Cocaine, I think most would argue, has a greater harm potential than marijuana, but actually is m- relative to marijuana, much harder to detect. It comes in and out of the system much more quickly. Marijuana, while much of a safer drug, relative to cocaine sticks around much longer and so what you guys notice and i've been arguing against this i I, I tweeted it out today is why i bring it up i interviewed jacob almost 10 years ago okay talking about this very fact that like it's not scientific to say um the reason why the nevada commission wanted to hem up diaz for the condit fight uh is because well, we don't want anyone competing in the cage high. Okay, fair enough. Well, how do you determine that? Well, their answer was a urinalysis, and that's just not scientific um at all. At all. And again, please go. I, I was I think that was actually my first major feature I wrote for MMA fighting when I started working for them uh, back when they when um Vox acquired them from AOL. And uh so anyway, why is that relevant? Well, today um UFC comes out via Jeff Nowitzki, And here's what he says, quote, while we want to continue to prevent athletes from competing under the influence of marijuana, we have learned that urinary levels of carboxy THC are highly variable after out-of-competition use and have poor scientific correlation to in-competition impairment. THC is fat soluble, meaning that once it is ingested, it is stored in fatty tissues and organs in the body. And can be released back into the into circulation, and consequently, carboxy THC appears in the urine sometimes long after ingestion. It is therefore not an ideal marker in athletes to indicate in competition impairment. Yeah, no fucking shit, Jeff. No fucking shit. We've known this for at least fifteen years. This is not new. This this that USADA did not discover this in the last... How long have they been with UFC? About six years or so, give or take? Five, six, or seven? They did not discover that in that time frame. It was understood well before this. Well before this. And so you have to ask yourself, what the fuck took you so long? You know, this is a bureaucratic institution, USADA, which obviously has competing... It has um, some limits about what it's able to do in terms of... um, the choices that it makes about what to ban, what not to ban by virtue of the United States being a a, uh, a code um, uh, signatory. So there, there are obviously uh, um, some issues there, I, I, I get, but if this is a private client, um, you know, I would have hoped that there could be moved on, which it is, I, I would hope that this could be moved on issues uh, much more quickly. And more to the point, it's like, okay, is this a good thing that they did? It certainly is not bad. But what are we going to do about all the people who lost money or time or whatever from the point at which this was known? And I wrote that article in 2011, and it was known well before that. So let's be very conservative and say 2010. What are we going to do about all the folks who got hemmed up in the last 11 years? Now, much of that, a huge portion of that, has nothing to do with USADA. Because they didn't get brought into the UFC until around 2014 or so, the commission, by the way, then and still today, if they catch you with it, they're gonna they're gonna bust you. Usada can't do anything about that, so it's not their fault in that way. But like for example, I saw Violent Bob Ross was talking about this on Instagram. Uh, the THC was detected in a test by Usada. Usada gave the information to the relevant state athletic commission, and then from there, the athletic commission sent down the punishment, is UFC, or excuse me, I should say, is USADA going to stop testing for it? Stop sending them info? What, How does that part of it work? It remains somewhat unclear, but it's like, it's like, dude, you know, and you should go back and read what people said about marijuana and like what a hazard it was to health and safety or that it was this major performance enhancer. And again, you don't want people competing under it. Whatever the truth of it is, that some people can get their senses dulled and that may help some people... You know, deal with pain thresholds, or it slows some down. Whatever, good, bad, or indifferent. Probably, you you, you know, you want people competing sober. Fine, um, but like this is this is this was well established in research over a decade ago. Over a decade ago, they knew this. They knew they knew they knew this, and you're getting around to it now. And it's like, yeah, we're at the cutting edge, dude. Let me explain something to you. Progress on drugs. Um, happens at a glacial pace and they will say the most insane, uh, when I say they, I mean the sort of authorities charged with any kind of level of enforcement about it, whether it's a private organization like this or law enforcement or whatever, um, they will say the most insane things about it until they just no longer can. They will keep up the charade as long as they can because it's a method of control that they can use to exert their influence and their power and sort of have their say. So, great. They don't, they're do not they not going to do that anymore, it feels like. Um, but, you know, <laughs> you could have done this from day fucking one. You could, I mean, you know, I don't... Or maybe they waited till... I'm not sure if WADA changed the code and then this was the license... That enabled them to do it. Maybe maybe that is it. I have to double check. So in all fairness to USADA, I have to double check. Um, but either way, let's just say worldwide anti-doping authorities are desperately behind the times. They're behind the times on the things that got Leota Machido hemmed up. And I got news for everybody else. I've been trying to tell everyone this, and I've recommended reading about 1% of 1% of 1% have done it. And those that have all come back to me and say, holy shit, I didn't consider these things in the way that you know, had been presented previously. Uh, you know, There's a truth to be told about the reality of performance enhancing drugs in our sport as well. And uh, it's not the one that USADA is telling you. But how close are we to change on that? We're not even remotely close. We are still in the stage where they think that, uh, and USADA did cheer this explicitly, throwing people in jail is really going to solve this problem. Not athletes yet, but, you know, what's preventing that, you know, appetite and their ability to persuade people that it's a thing that they could do. Other than that, nothing. Um, So, you know, congratulations on catching up with information we've known for the better part of 15, maybe 20 years. Great. Thoughts on a win-lose-draw round system with the same priority of effective striking first, etc., over the 10-point must system, although I don't know how to take fouls into account. Win, lose, or draw. Like, you win the round, you lose the round, or the round's a draw, and then you add up who has two wins? Or three in the case of a five round? I'm not sure I understand the question. Can you give us any insight into your transition from dissected to technical difficulties? Oh, how I wish. What happened? Also, how long does it take you on average to make one, start to finish? Well, I've got to do it much faster. I mean, here's how it goes: I gotta watch the fights in real time. Then I have to uh, record it. Well, I'll usually record it as I watch in real time, obviously. Then I have to go through, and I have the, uh, I'll have, I have a Mac here, and I'll watch it on the Mac, and then I have a series of note-taking apps on my PC, and I will watch it in slow motion, and I go through with timestamps. Anytime any kind of event happens, what, what's an event? A strike lands, uh, a major strike is thrown, some kind of noticeable feint, and I will timestamp it for everything through all five rounds or every three rounds or how long the bout lasts. Which is why I sort of prefer shorter bouts because you a know, five-round fight, getting all of that inventory takes a considerable amount of time. Once I've done that, patterns begin to emerge. Most fights have patterns. Guys will try things. Either they work or they don't, uh, or they work a little bit, and then they build on it. And then once they work, they sort of go back to the well over and over and over again. That's really the the big takeaway from fights is that things land for a reason, and they land in repetition. Very little of it is an accident. Uh, it happens sometimes, but certainly not that often. So once I can see what those patterns are, and uh, I can then make a list of it, and then I can define it in a coherent way. I have to make the graphic. I have to edit the footage in a way that uh, is you know, condensed, usually around a total of two minutes or so is what I'm looking at. That's my sweet spot for, um, for footage. Sometimes I go well over, sometimes I go under, but that's what I'm looking for. Then I use AirPlay to send it to my uh, iPad. iPad gets set up on the TV. TV I have to set up, then I have to set up the lighting. Then I have to move this camera that you're watching it on over to this side of the room. I have to pull this desk back. I have to check all the lighting so to make sure the TV is not reflecting it. Um, make sure that the recording settings are what I need, that I have enough t- uh, room on it. I have to record on Audacity here. So once that is all done, um, you know, I have measured everything. Then I have to pull the card out. I have to put it in here to the camera, or the uh, pull the card out of the camera, put it into the Mac to edit. I have to email myself the audio. I have to adjust the audio to the best that I can. And then I have to begin editing. Once the editing is done, then I have to uh, render it. Once the rendering is done, then I have to upload it. Then I have to make the thumbnail. And you can see it takes a fuckload of effort. <laughs> it takes an absolute metric ton of effort. Which is why I'm hoping at some point I can get this the coronavirus vaccine and we can start doing those Monday shows again. Because that way I can still you know, do the things that I need to do. Although, I, you know what, that would be for Dissected, which I can't really do much anymore. Um, you know, it's still kind of on me. Yeah, I need some kind of a solution. What I would need is i need a bigger space where I could just leave the setup for um, technical difficulties in place and then just turn lights on, turn cameras on and go because everything else is so fucking labor intensive. I mean, my room is small. You want like a piece of advice for like a YouTube studio? Put as much as you can on wheels. If you have a TV or a monitor, put it on wheels. If you have a lectern or some kind of podium, put it on wheels. If you have lights, put them on wheels. If you have uh, any kind of C-stand, put it on wheels. Because you can take a very small space and then you can just move stuff. Put your desk on wheels. Put your chair on wheels. Um, Put storage on wheels. Put anything you can on wheels. Because what it will allow you to do is take a very small space and then just rearrange things. The one downside to that is... While you can really maximize the space and which is what I've been able to do, you have to re- readjust everything for every single shoot uh and it just becomes incredibly labor intensive. Why I had to switch I can't really tell you, so it just is what it is. It's stupid, but it is what it is uh uh, uh, uh. In hindsight, did the Strikeforce Heavyweight Grand Prix have the best fighters in any tournament ever? I don't think so. I think um, some of the rings tournaments were pretty stacked. It had arguably three heavyweight goats in it, DC, Verdum, and Fedor. Well, I mean, if you're the greatest of all time, there's only one of you. But I know what you mean. You have three of the top, let's say, five or seven heavyweights ever. And that's not even mentioning UFC champs Barnett and Orlovsky, nor is it mentioning... um, uh, Overeem, um, certainly was pretty good. At the time, DC was not recognized as such, nor was Verdum, and Fedor was kind of off peak. But yes, in the sense that you had really important names in the tournament, that's true. But you know, where was DC ranked among heavyweights at the time? Not that high. Verdum, I think, uh, was doing well, but you know, was, did not really achieve. The Verdoom that we know until a second UFC stint following that, where he was able to capture the belt, right? And then Fedor again was sort of post a little bit little bit off prime by that point. Amy says a nice comment. Thank you, Amy. <clears throat> Favorite Diego Sanchez moment. Yeah, this is an easy one for me. I don't know if the video is still out there somewhere. I hope that it is because you got to see it. Um, and it's somewhat marred by the reality of the fight. But Diego Sanchez fought Martin Campman. And it's really unfortunate because uh, Martin Campman deserved to win that fight. And I don't think that's a very crazy thing to say. Um, you could probably go back and watch it on uh, Fight Pass. And I, I, I doubt you would come to a separate conclusion. But. What is not debatable is that Diego, you know, maintained fiery intensity throughout the entirety of that bout. He had sustained terrible facial injuries to the point where it looked like parts of, and I'm not exaggerating, like go watch the fight. There were parts where it looked like his face was falling off. Um, He, if you're asking like how did he end up winning if he should not have, it was that intensity. He would drive forward and he would throw a bunch of strikes and I think the judges thought They were landing when, if you look kind of closely, they were not. So there was this level of just activity. It wasn't really coordinated in a way that was supposed to be considered effective by modern standards, but neither here nor there. Well, why am I bringing this up? Well, you know, whether you thought he won or he lost, you know, to maintain that kind of intensity amidst that amount of damage is just ridiculous. That... He walked out. it's the only time he's ever done it, but he walked out to that fight um, with Labamba, you know, which is sort of a really interesting song in the way which um, you know if you consider sort of its history to the uh, sort of the, the Southwest Latino um, population, you know, um, and we're talking like the Richie Valens cover here. And, you know, so like, honestly, I got the chills when he walked out to it, to be quite honest with you. Like, it just fit. It totally fit the moment. He has this really brutal, brutal fight where he gets fucked up. But you would have thought that he, by his attitude, went and dominated. So what is my favorite moment? Is it that? No. My favorite moment is there's a video that aired. I think because I think that fight was on Versus at the time. There was a video that I saw afterwards where Diego's getting his face stitched up. I don't even think he got anesthetic. I think they just went right to work on him. And uh, Lorenzo Fertitta and Dana White went backstage to check on him to see how he was doing. And they're like, even they were like, fuck, man, are you okay? (laughs) And he sits up in the chair, you know, and there's like, you know, it's a medical situation. And I think he had been either fully stitched up or he was just about done. And he, you know, and there's blood and his his lip is all fucked up. I mean, he was fucked up in that fight. And he pounds his chest like this and just goes, corazón, 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 which means heart. Um, for folks who don't know, corazón. And he and he looks into the camera and he's like, I'll, you know, something to the effect of, I'll never quit. I've got corazón, you know, and you know, and I've got just tons of heart. And I was just thinking to myself, like, holy fucking shit, man. Like, Diego is what it's like to be on bath salts while being sober <laughs> you know what i mean like you ever see, every time that there's a, a zombie movie the zombie is portrayed a little bit differently you know like if you watch the zombies in the walking dead they they kind of walk like you know world war ii veterans you know they're kind of hobbling along and uh, you know they're not they don't look all that intimidating they just win by force of how many there are they but they're not going to win any arm wrestling contests right if you watch the zombies in train to Busan, they're fucking ravenous, full speed, you know, ah, you know, headbutting doors and fucking ripping open flesh. Diego's more like that. He was more like the zombie in train to Busan. and then just to, I mean you just, the guy looked like he was in the most severe car accident. and from the way he was talking, you would have guessed, you know, that he came out of there looking clean as shit. Just not a scratch on him. I was just... I was blown away by the level of mental fortitude and focus that he had at that time. And, you know, this is why, like, for me, you know, when he... To me, he probably quit in that Pereira fight. You know, we had a big debate about it. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But this is what I mean. Is like, am I really going to beat that dude up for quitting at the very tail end of his career? Okay, you probably... You know, if you don't want to be in a fight, you should not be in it. And uh, you should, And if you're going to quit, you shouldn't deny that you quit. You know, there's a lot. Again, I don't want to re- rehash the debate again. But it's like, dude, if anybody, if anybody has earned a mulligan, it's that guy. You know, and when you just see some of the shit he has done, sometimes winning, by the way, with just, I mean, I would love to see his mouthpieces. I bet he's the only guy who could bite all the way through it. It's just because it, I, I, that is to me, I'll never forget that moment. I was sitting right out here in my, in my, in my living room watching that, just being like, Jesus Christ, man. How does somebody do that? You know? Um, let's see. I'm trying to get to the ones that have more thumbs up than not. I just watched the Conor McGregor interview on the Weighing In podcast, and he said, uh, weigh ins for UFC 257 are two days before. Instead of one day before the event. Is that true? I don't think that's true. Is that true? Are they just doing that shit now? Uh, I would need to have that verified. There, there, um, Yeah, I would need to have that verified. I don't know if that's true. I don't think you can do that. Maybe in terms of like where it airs. Versus when it's done, there's like an extra, you know, time difference such that it will be, you know, like Australians watch UFC technically on Sunday morning. Maybe he means that I'm not, I, 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 maybe he's right. I have to double check, but I would not heard that. Where would you point someone to hear your most comprehensive written or on-mic explanation of reviews on PEDUs? Sadly, I've got them all over the place. I don't think I've ever made one sort of magnum opus on it. But I've always told people, if you want to get some good reading in on this, the best place to do it is Paul Demio and Werner Muller, The Anti-Doping Crisis in Sport. It's available for cheap on uh, Amazon. Go read it. I don't ape everything that they say in there. In fact, I have some real spots of disagreement. But in general, that will give you a pretty clear indication of why... um, you know, hammering these guys and ladies and engaging in all these privacy invasions is a complete waste of time and not justified and not really going to solve the problem long-term anyway. Are there, like, oh, here we go. Um, We've seen how General Sports World and ESPN reacted to the Capitol building being tarnished last week, even though they turned a blind eye over Chinese concentration camps and last year's summer riots. But how do you think the UFC fighters who are pro-Trump, such as Masvidal, Colby, and others will respond? Should a question be brought up about it? And depending on how they react, could it affect how they are perceived to the rest of the sports world? Um, Maybe. I, I don't think so, unless they had a really wacky take. You know, unless they were like, yeah, I thought it was great. Um, you know, that might attract some attention. Because you guys saw there was that gold medalist swimmer who went into the Capitol and then got arrested because he's a fucking idiot. But more to the point, you're right. I mean, you know, Disney, uh, totally total hypocrites morally. So, you know, uh, I, I, by the way, I actually thought that they handled it pretty well. For um, Saturday's game between Washington football team and uh, who the fuck they play? Uh, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Mike Tirico kind of made an allusion to it about how bad it was and then just moved on. Like they didn't just sit there and have a long conversation and give their takes and what they thought which for a live broadcast I thought was probably the better call. I mean, there is an actual game going on. You know, I realize that that I, that's what I do on this one, but I'm not in the middle of a game. Right? I'm not in the middle of a fight. If you're in the middle of an actual sporting event, probably best to focus your attention on that. You don't want to say nothing, especially when it involves a team from that city, but I thought they handled it pretty well. So, there's that. I mean, here's probably what's going to happen. I mean, I I don't know. I certainly am in no position to speak for Masvidal or Colby, but I think if you just look at a lot of the response from the right, uh, a fair amount of it has been some variety of they still support the president or the president's causes, but that there's no place for violence, right? Um, although there was was it a Gallup YouGov poll that like 45% of Republicans thought the Capitol mobbing was justified. It's like oh, we have deep problems in this country, but I think in general. You'll get something like that, like, you know, President Trump was done wrong, I support him, but obviously like the president even said, because the president did come out this week with a statement, probably, you know, somewhat at gunpoint, but he did do it, 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 it demanding that there be no violence um, on the inauguration, and so it'll they'll probably thread the needle that way, you know, we still support these causes for whatever that is worth, but we certainly don't condone, you know, cops being killed or, um, you know, that sort of a thing, so... Unless they really veer from that, I think they'll be fine. Honestly, you know, um, and they didn't go. You know, Pat Militich got into trouble because he went, um, but they didn't go. So I, th- I, you know, I think they'll be fine. Is there a particular reason that the team of commentators that will be calling the upcoming fights are never listed along with the rest of the information about the bout, fighters, etc.? We never know the complete commentary team. Do they show up on our screen? Sort of not true. The UFC uh, often will, or ESPN, one of the two. I have to go and check who it comes from. I don't have my iPad in front of me. Uh, But um, they will email that information out ahead of time, typically. They'll tell you who's going to be on there. So you, the average person, may not know. And I don't think media goes through those emails and like, oh, someone's going to call the fight. I don't think they really care. But typically, they'll announce it there. Luke, I'm a fan of your tattoos. Well, you haven't seen all of them because I got some ones that suck. Did you always want tattoos or was there a period of time when you thought you would never get any or would live to regret potentially getting any tats? I am 22 and considering getting a tattoo but don't know what I want yet or if it is something I may regret when I'm older. If that's how you feel, you probably should not get one, at least not right now. Number one is what I would say. Uh, Number two... The thing I would say is, uh, did you always want tattoos? Yes, I've worn them for a very long time. Was there a period of time when you thought you would never get any? Nope. I mean, before I was, you know, I ever considered the question, but once I began to consider it, it was over. Um, Or would live to regret potentially getting any tats? No, I've got some bad tats. I got got some stupid ones in college. Luckily, they're uh, small enough where uh, a real big cover-up will totally conceal it, so I'm going to get some cover-ups. Um, I've got some good ones, too. You know, I think this is a really good one. Um, I've got I've got meat tags here on my ribs. So, if you guys don't know what meat tags is, back in the day, uh, before dog tags, a lot of infantrymen would, um, you know, get their information if they died, tattooed on their body so they could be identified. And if you're in combat arms, it's sort of a thing that you would... Uh, sort of a tradition you would carry on with. So, I've got basically that my dog tag information tattooed on the side of my ribs. That was not a very fun tattoo, but it didn't last very long, like 30, 45 minutes. So you can just suck it up and do it. Um, but yeah, like I would like to get this whole sleeve, uh, this one, I'm just going to add pieces to it. Um, I want to get, I have a tattoo on my chest here. I want to get it covered up all the way to not my neck exactly, but let's say collarbone area. Um, I want to get a tattoo piece totally covering one leg. Yeah. Like I want, I want, to be very much covered, but it takes time, it takes money. You got to find the right specialist. I had someone reach out the other day asking for like advice on a tattoo. This guy, he was showing me the work of one guy on Instagram and the guy was pretty talented. Um, and you know, first, the first thing I told him was I am no expert on tattoos. Please believe me. I am not. I'm just a guy who's gotten them. I've got, let's see. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven. I got se- six or seven tattoos. I have to double check. I can't even think right right now, but, um, I've got them on my back, arm, ribs, chest, stomach. You know, I've got a fair amount at this point. And um, so the one thing I had learned was if you go to somebody who can do a lot and he's pretty good, maybe even like very good in certain parts of it, you're probably going to get a good tattoo. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But for me personally, and again, always consult with an expert, you know, um, please don't take my word for it. But the way I feel about it is from now on, if I get a tattoo – Um, it's going to be custom. You know, I'm not going to get what they call flash tattoos. Those are the ones on the board up there that you can kind of pick out and like, they'll, you know, put it on you for like a hundred or 200 bucks. I don't want those. I want something totally custom, but two, I'm only going to go to someone who does a certain style. Like if I'm going to get an American traditional tattoo, which, you know, I may or may not, but if I do, I'm going to go to someone who specializes in American traditional. That's all they tattoo. If I end up getting a Japanese piece, I'm going to get someone, I might even do it Tabori style, but... Um, I'm only going to get it from somebody who does Japanese tattooing. I'm not going to get it from somebody who does Japanese, black and gray, new school, portrait realism, fuck all that. I want them to do one style and then just be absolute master craftsmen at it. You guys seen that uh, documentary, Jiro Dreams of Sushi? It's totally pretentious, but if there's one lesson from it, is that you know this dude spends his entire life in a very sort of humble way perfecting the art of sushi making and it's just about repetition over and over and over and over and over again through the entirety of his working life that was the reality and he made the most exquisite tattoo or um sushi if not in all of Japan um pretty close and you know I want someone who has that kind of focus to one kind of craft if you are a black and gray person, then when I want black and gray, I want to go to you. I don't want to go to somebody who can do black and gray and can also do you know, um, new school. I don't want that. So if you're if you want to get a tattoo, a real easy way to find comfort in it is to go to someone who is a specialist because maybe you'll regret the tattoo later. Oh, I didn't want to do that. You know, um, cost too much money or whatever. But you. Probably won't get a bad tattoo. You know, the best way to do it is find someone who is an expert and that is all they fucking do is that style. That's it. I don't do the one style because even doing that is hard enough. Like being an expert in Japanese tattooing is extremely difficult or new school or traditional or in this case, Japanese traditional, you know, it's hard. Thoughts on TJ coming off of suspension and getting an immediate title shot. Um I think we've covered this before. My basic answer is I don't know if I'm in favor of an immediate title shot. I'm in favor of him fighting an immediate contender. I'm definitely in favor of that. And then and then depending on what the outcome is there and how he looked and what we can ascertain, then making a judgment call and if in fact he gets a fight against a a ranked contender and looks quite good, I would have no problems giving him a title shot. I mean, to me it's not even about like the PEDs. Your punishment was you had to sit out two years and you had to get your name dragged through the mud. Okay, that's fine. He had to do that, right? He did it. Or when, you know, when the time's up, he'll have done it. So now it's time to move on. Let's see what he can do. Let's see where he's at. And if he's quite good, sure. Pump him to the front of the line. I don't give a fuck. Uh, as everyone knows, you are a Latina lover. This is true. Guilty as charged. Did or do you dance to Spanish music? I think you mean Latin music or Hispanic music. Because Spanish music is from Spain. This person writes, as a Dominican, I think that if you do not know how to dance at least one genre, bachata, merengue, or salsa, you're looked at as an American and failure in your family. <laughs> uh, and Latinas love dancing. Yeah, Latinos do too, bro. Um, they all do. Is this something you picked up? A little bit of salsa. I've taken some salsa classes. You're right. You know, you gotta, you gotta have a little bit of a something with you so that you don't totally stick out like a sore thumb. Although, I do whenever I go to Columbia. Um, I don't quite look like everyone else there, as you can well imagine. Do you think guys like Thor and Brian Shaw will make their lives longer or shorter based on how they live, i.e. training, diet, and steroid regimen? It's the first time in history you've had people this big and this strong walk the earth. And it seems like their bodies ask a lot from their heart muscle. Um, Kazmier is alive, but he wasn't at their level. Yeah. I mean, have you guys ever seen what strong men have to eat every single day? I mean, these dudes are, forget about the steroid regimen, which is his own thing. Um, which is a huge, obviously, component of, of elite strongman. You know, and also, like, these guys are naturally huge, like 6'4, not uncommon to see someone in the 400 pounder. Like, the guy who's currently the world's strongest man, Alexei Novikov, is only like 250, two, maybe like, 280, something like that. And he's like 6'1 or so. He, like, he is tiny by those standards. He's just a fucking miracle, a total dynamo. I mean, he's amazing to watch. But, you know, Brian Shaw is like 6'9, 420, something like that. He's fucking enormous. And uh, Thor is, is right around that same size as well. These guys have to eat in ways that... Like, I think Eddie Hall has a documentary on Netflix where you can watch. But you can even just type it in. Just type in Brian Shaw, full day of eating. Just look that up. And it will shock you what these guys eat. I mean, pounds of spaghetti. Pounds of ground beef. Dozens of eggs. Um... You know mounds of chicken, and you know' th- it, 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 you're like, well, they can eat whatever they want. well, they certainly have a degree of latitude like they'll ha- they, you know they're not like eating like bodybuilders would eat, but still they have to eat they, they also have to eat nutritious things too, they have to fuel their body, and they really have to make a certain amount of calories you know somewhere between ten and fifteen thousand calories a day a day. Dude, that's got to be hard on your system, you know that's got to be re- to say nothing of the training where you're you're lifting quite literally. Right at or um, at or below, I should say, maximum loads. You know, one rep max. You're doing more than that, but like you know, if you see what these guys are lifting, it's like they'll do like the deadlift, and it's like they'll put you know whatever it is on the bar. I, I don't know what the last one was. You know, you'll see them do reps of six or seven, bro. If you're, I mean, you know, if you guys know what RPE is, RPE is one sort of this sort of way to gauge um, the intensity of 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 an, a particular uh, exercise or set. You know, if everything you're doing is RPE 7 or, you know, well, I should say RPE, yeah, RPE 7 uh, or RPE 8 or 9 or even 10 in certain cases, you know, dude, that is like incredibly straining all the time. They've got bicep tears and fucking bulging discs and repaired knees and shattered egg. I mean, it's a completely brutal sport. So you have to be genetically gifted. You have to be enormous And you have to just force feed your body and do steroids to a point where you can just, you're about to pop, you know. And then you have to really have a programmatic, scientific way of training um, to get where you want to go. And you're like, oh, how scientific could it be? You should guys go see Brian Shaw's training. One thing that Brian Shaw said about his training when he programs it. That really caught my attention was he never misses a rep. And what he means by that is not that he's like fucking Billy really badass where he can walk around and just, you know, whatever it is, I can always lift it. No, he always has to program it such that the rep can be fully executed. I mean, there might be some form breakdown. But what he doesn't want is to program in a way that's ahead of his actual ability. He wants to program in a way that pushes his ability, but he still has to make all the all the reps for all the exercises that he does. Folks, I got to tell you that requires a significant degree of expertise in programming, significant and significant muscle body uh, m- muscle mind connection. And I mean that is that is extraordinary. I've never heard that before. Where you you just don't miss a rep. I mean, I took missing a rep for granted. That's crazy. So, he's pretty special. But, you know, do I think that's extending their life? Fuck no. 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 They exercise a lot, but they exercise in a very particular way that is maximal strain all the time. That's, that can't be good for you. Uh, was Luke Thomas ever a video game guy? Sort of. I kind of grew out of it around age 16 or so, which is to say, you know, whenever I say that, I always get defensive because I don't want people to think that like, because I did, I'm saying that's what people naturally do. But um, I I always talk about it. Mortal Kombat and the variety of Mortal Kombat they're in has just been, you know, not only like my favorite game, my favorite game by a... A wide margin. In fact, I have a hard time playing any other fighting games like Tekken or Street Fighter or... You know, you know you name it. I've just never... I've never really gotten... Um, never really enjoyed it. From there, you know, I don't know much about video games. Whatever my friends have. I've tried Madden. Um, I've tried... What if I tried? I've not tried the new Spider-Man. I've been dying to try that one. Nor any of the more modern Star Wars stuff. Um... You know, I've played some NBA 2K or, you know, whatever whatever my friend had a PS4, so whatever the in the latest iteration was on NBA games. They're fine, but they're not they're not my favorite. <laughs> uh, okay, what are your thoughts on Anthony Smith? This person writes having every bad or trendy tattoo ever. He has his last name on his back, tribal sleeve, dream catcher, Roman numerals, koi fish, love, fear, across his knuckles, no regrets. Let me explain something to you. Anybody who's got good tattoos also has bad tattoos. I can't say shit because I also have bad tattoos. The only difference is I don't have to walk around shirtless and parade them all to, to everybody else. But believe you me, I've got some bad ones. So it would be... It would be very much uh, beyond hypocritical for me to say something. The only thing I will say in defense of Anthony, uh, aside from that, I say, which is like, you know, I've got, you know, I do I have it, do I have all of those things, you know, the bingo card of it? No, not necessarily, but I can't say shit. I've got some terrible ones. And the other part I would say is, dude, like, I'm not getting tattoos for you. <laughs> I mean, yes, the public can see them if I want them to. I could always wear long sleeves and you would never know the difference, you know? I get them because I want to adorn my body that way. You know, if that's the way that Smith wants to adorn his body, uh, it, it doesn't really bother me. The only one that really bothered me was the um, the Alan Belcher Johnny Cash tattoo. I mean, the thing is, Smith's tattoos, like when I say, is it a bad tattoo, is it a good tattoo? What I mean is... Was the tattoo expertly done? I'd have to go and look at all of them, but the Dreamcatcher one he has is pretty well done. Like you may not want it, you may not think it's very original, but it's not a poorly executed tattoo. It's a it's a it's a well executed tattoo for what it is, whether you like it or not. That Johnny Cash one, I don't understand. I don't understand what the fuck anyone was thinking with that. Like even with the um, the Darren Elkins one, like. The damage. Okay, it's a little, <laughs> it's a little on the heavy-handed side. It's a little like you know, almost like superhero, in a way. Um, and it's you know, it' not the best tattoo I've ever seen. Although it's again, it it was it wasn't poorly done. It was just conceptually not all that interesting. Uh, but that was you know, you, again, if you look at it, did a person who knows tattooing reasonably well make that? Yes. Uh, what happened with the John? I don't under, I don't, I don't know how you could walk out of the tattoo or get up out of the tattoo chair and be like, killed it. You know, I'd look at that and be like, dude, you better lawyer the fuck up. You know, this is a defective product. You sold me a vacuum cleaner that blows hot air. I don't need that. Uh, so, you know, uh, Alan Belcher's the man. You know, God bless him. His fight against Toquinho was uh um you know, was Husamar Poharis was one of my favorites in UFC history. He's a badass and he's a you know a wonderful American. But he I can't believe he didn't beat the shit out of the guy who did that tattoo for him. That is uh Yeah, they fucked up. <laughs> That's why I was having this debate with Brian over the uh Amanda Hemos's tattoo, and I you know what I did? Oh, you know what? I'll show you what I sent to him. Hold on, we can, we can have that debate right here on uh, the, the air. So let me show you what I sent him. Because, you know, he was like, oh, you're being a fucking hater, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, I'm not being a fucking hater. You, you just, you got to understand. This is a dynamite tattoo for black and gray, right? So I want you to pay attention to something. I want you to look at how they don't overuse white as like a, a color. They use negative spacing. The shading is perfect, Um, the lettering has total uh, uniformity, it's balanced. This is a good black and gray tattoo. I'm going to let it focus. Hold on. That, that is a superb tattoo, right? Now you may not want that. Uh, And also if you look at the lettering, it's right at the bicep where the arm curls. So he was able to work with the, with the, uh, with the, with the motion of, or the uh, contours of the arm. I mean, that is a very well-done tattoo. And I was trying to show that to Brian, and I was like, Brian, this is a good black and gray tattoo. This is the difference. Contrast that with... Hang on. Contrast that with this. If you zoom in. I mean, look at the lettering on the UFC. I mean, it looks like a kid scribbled it. I'm not doing a bit. It looks like a kid scribbled it. It's, it's a disaster. It's a disaster. Um, so when people say good tattoos, bad tattoos, like conceptually, I like the one that Amanda Hebas' father got much more than that, you know, Greek statue or Roman statue with the lettering. It doesn't interest me at all. But from an execution standpoint, I mean, there's just no comparison. There's just no comparison whatsoever. Um, is data science analytics underused at MMA yes but I'm not sure how to solve the problem if you look at um, fight metric they have a certain like I I meet with Rami the guy who runs it once a year he lives in DC he's a nice guy he's a great guy and uh, super smart and you know really has just his head on his shoulders and the most uh, you know he, he's a real asset to this community and to the fight community. When I say this community, I mean here in D.C. And he's an asset to the fight community as well. And um, I, I've talked to him about like, oh, we, you know, what about this idea? What about that idea? And there's a lot of things that they want or could do. But they have a minimal amount of staff. Or, you know, not minimal, but uh, limited. I mean, they don't have unlimited resources. And that goes back to the other part about the money. It's like between the amount of time they have in the day... Their existing responsibilities and what money there would be to fund other projects, they simply don't have the ability to do much. I mean, some things more, but not a whole lot more than what they currently do. And I don't think that, um, um, you know, I, I think this is well known, but I think UFS or WME owns them, right? I don't know if folks know that or not, but WME owns FightMetric now, and so the budget is somewhat is somewhat limited. Uh, you know, again, they're not like counting pennies in the couch i just mean to do something more robust is there room for it yes of course but someone has to pay for that i don't know exactly who that would be at this point have you and bc ever discussed going to fight island and covering the fights uh yeah neither of us have even a shred of interest i certainly don't maybe bc has a little bit but i don't think cbs is going to send us why why you know We can go live on Fight Island and do a bunch of shit that we can just do here. I mean, it doesn't... For certain outlets, it makes much more sense. You know, if you're MMA fighting or junkie and you pull from pressers and media days and you upload videos of scrums and you get cage-side photos and you do post-fight interviews, you know, and you get a bunch of interviews with everyone else on scene like you would for a normal fight week, it's probably pretty valuable for you to go do that. We don't do that. So, I mean, you know... Maybe they'll send us. I seriously doubt it, and I have no desire to go whatsoever. Um, I'm trying to find where we go. Funniest question anyone has ever asked you on any live chat. Mine include, can a bear beat a gorilla in a fight? (laughs) Do you got a big one, Luke? And if enema, rehydration, in MMA is considered cheating. Yeah, I don't have anything above that. The only thing that was funny was the bear-gorilla debate. I actually had a real, it was like a zoologist who wrote me. And apparently made the claim that the bear, this broke my heart by the way, but Apparently said that the bear would absolutely fuck up the gorilla. Like it would not even be close. And I think it was like not any old bear. It was a grizzly bear or something versus male silverback gorilla. Apparently the bear would just demolish the gorilla. Which is, you know, as a primate, I have a a bias towards other primates, I suppose. So that one wasn't my favorite, but um, interesting just the same. How many times do you realistically see McGregor fighting in UFC this year should he beat Dustin? Okay, let's assume he beats Dustin. How many times? Two more times, I think. Because that would mean he would get one more for the title and then maybe they put him in some kind of vanity fight after that. Given he wants to have a boxing match also. I don't think he does the boxing thing till 2022. Haven't heard your USMC stats in a long time. Could you briefly go over your history? Units served with same unit the entire time. Hotel 314. They eventually got converted to a grunt company. Fourth Mar Div. Top rank. I held the rank of sergeant. MOS. Originally a field radio operator. Lap move over to um, um, uh, call for fire missions uh, on the hill for field artillery. So, Which, obviously, you need someone who can do radio for those. But that's where it came from. So... So that is what I did. Nothing all of that interesting. Um, but, yeah. Goal for deadlift one rep max. I've really never specialized like that in deadlift ever in my life. So I've never gotten pretty far. Uh, I'm a sub 600 puller. So if I could get to 700, I'd be pretty happy about that. Which, by the way, is entirely doable. You just have to focus and program around it. And I don't know that I've ever really sort of done it in that kind of a concerted way. Um, talk about Arnold's capital video. Ah, you mean Schwarzenegger. Also, what is best in life? Uh, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentations of the women. Right from Conan the Barbarian. Okay, talk about Arnold's Capitol video. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much to say about it. I thought it was great. If you guys didn't see it, he had like a sort of a seven or eight minute video about the mob at the Capitol building, and it's always good to hear from immigrants because uh, you get this real American idealism and an appreciation for it that you know these people chose to be Americans, right? So there's a certain amount of appreciation. You can. It's hard to burn out of them. Obviously, he still has quite a bit of it uh on the same time they've lived an experience that is quite different from the ones of our own and they can bring those experiences to bear about how different ways we could live for better or for worse and i thought that he brought all of that into a real crystallizing moment and it was a really really important thing to hear i mean he grew up in post world war Two austria where guys who had joined the nazi army had to come back home and sort of face reality afterwards and he described how what hell, how broken they were, not merely their bodies full of shrapnel, but their minds from committing to such a heinous task, even if they had a relatively mundane job inside of that operation, and what drunks and bad fathers they were. Uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a moving speech. Um, favorite restaurant in DC, DMV local. Favorite restaurant to see. I don't know if I have a favorite. Um, favorite. What is my favorite? God, there's a bunch of good ones. Um, well, at least there was before the pandemic fucked a whole lot of things over. Um, man, put me on the spot. I would say uh, Obelisk is really good. Obolesky is really good. What's um, another one that's like I really enjoy that people from around the country could not give a fuck less about. I'll give you one more and then I'll move on. Um, God I mean there's so many. For guys who people who may not know, you know there's 60,000 again pre-pandemic I don't know what the situation is today, but pre-pandemic there were 60,000 bars and restaurants in New York City. It's very, very hard to succeed there so in the last 10 years tons of them have just moved to dc and opened up shop and so there's like these places that open up all the time here and the food is i mean the last 10 15 years the food here has taken off oh here's one i'll give you i don't know if it's my favorite but i really like eating there saint anselm anselm let me make sure i get the name right as i botch it and tell you it's one of my favorites but truly it is uh yes um here in the city, St. Anselm. It is uh, it's by Union Market for anyone in the local area. Oh my fucking god, their cocktails are out of this world. And then they make they bring you these buttered biscuits that you can just open and you can almost see the butter dripping from them with pimento cheese, which is sort of like this mix of like you know. It's it's like uh it's like a, sort of like a gastropub. Some stuff they do is a little bit more elevated than that. They make an incredible steak if you're into that kind of a thing, but everything they make is just Next level. If Max loses to Cater, is it a given at that point that he goes to 155? I would imagine. How does he do at 155, assuming he takes the time uh, to put on the appropriate amount of muscle as opposed to just cutting less weight like it would seem he did in the Dustin rematch? Yeah, I think if he loses to Cater, I mean, well, I mean, here's the thing. At some point, he's going to want to stop cutting weight because getting down to 145 is hard for him. He's 29 years old, so we have to consider that, number one, a move to 55 may be inevitable. A loss to Cater may hasten it, but it might be inevitable. Um, How does he do? Well, I think he's got a great chin for that weight class, but I do think he kind of has to muscle up a little bit. He is a volume puncher um, in many ways, and uh, really works behind the jab and kind of has to be in the pocket a little bit to do... A lot of his best work which means he's probably going to take some damage along the way what are his numbers his overall like strikes absorb per minute let's see i will tell you yeah it's high like his strikes landed per minute is 6.47 that is very high you are know, the average is around three or four for most ufc um elite fighters and it strikes of sore per minute, 4.52. Um, that's high. It's usually around two or three. You know, that's very, 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 very high. So if you're gonna have that kind of a style, you really gotta beef up a little bit, and um, so you can your power can be enough of an influencing factor in those exchanges, which at 145 it is. At 155, I don't know that we've seen enough evidence of that yet. Um, so, But, you know, I think inevitably he will go there. I don't think he can cut to 145 the rest. But I do think if he can, I, I think his style can work at any weight class, provided that he has sufficient power um, and his chin holds up. Eventually it won't because, the, the you know, father time comes for everybody. But I think he can do well. If you, BC, or Jay had to interview Dana White, which one of you would most likely act like another one of his yes-men interviewers? Oh, Jay would, you know... Jay would shine his shoes. Could a show like Bully Beatdown exist today? Sure. Sure. Top three Tarantino movies. Jesus. Uh, well, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, gonna be one and two. And then maybe The Last Kill Bill. Maybe it's three. Uh, Luke, you and Danny Segura had great chemistry back in the day. Do you think you'll get to work together again? Is there a scope to expand the MK team? Not at the present moment, but I would love to work with Danny again. It was a rewarding experience. He could tell you some of the same stories that I could about how um, challenging it was to do that show. And, uh, you know, he has certainly come an incredibly long way as his own kind of man in the space. So... If their opportunity is right, I would love to work with Danny again. He's great. Connor keeps saying he's, quote, not looking over Dustin, but through him. I mean, these are just words. No one has better boxing than Connor at 155, but Dustin is a pretty close second. How do you think the striking exchanges could progress over five rounds? Um, for me, this is what I, I'm, I'm hoping I have time to do a video on it for next week. Um, I'm a little bit worried about. So, okay, I'll say what I'm worried about for both guys. So, for Dustin, I think I've made this pretty clear before. I'm a little bit worried about that first, maybe second round. Getting out of that, I think, is going to be really important for him. He got stopped by Connor in the first round the first time, and he got stopped by Habib, I, mean, I think, in the second round. Um, was it the second or third round he got stopped? Let me verify that before I give you fake news here third round sorry so it was the third round still um very different kind of fight I worry about his early output I worry about um you know he he you know slow starter he's not like Cerrone or something I mean he'll put it on you early if if the opportunity is there but he takes a fair amount of damage. He uh, strikes some sword per minute, 4.18. You know, that's high. That's high. That's not crazy high, but it's high. Strikes landed per minute, 5.57. That's also very, very high. You know, so he is a little bit like Max Holloway in that way where um, they give and they take. And they give a lot more than they take, and which is why they're mostly winners. But it's a lot of transactions happening, you know. And I think that for a guy like Conor, who is just so merciless with his power... And his accuracy and his ability to change the fight in an instant early. You know, you got to respect it. You got to respect it. And I think for Dustin, I'm going to try it. If I was him, I'd be trying to slow the fight down early. I'd be trying to wrestle early, even if you can't really do much with it. If you really have a good gas tank and you believe in it, just fucking, you got to get Connor off of prime Connor. You know, subprime Connor is a much different equation than the guy who comes out there in round one ready to go. Ready to go. So I really kind of worry about that. Let mean, look at these numbers here, like in the Dan Hooker fight. Um, I've never really done this on the air, but let's see. Yeah, he kind of went up and down a little bit because, you know what, some of that was uh, because they were wrestling. But Poirier landed 20 of 31 in the first round, 48 of 83 in the second. Now, Hooker landed 66, so they were going after each other. But then the tide began to turn. 28 of 40 for uh, Poirier to 20s of 39 for Hooker. 20 of 28 for Dustin Poirier, just for 11 of 14 for Hooker. And then 37 of 49 to the 25 of 35 for Hooker. Let me go to that Max Holloway fight, because that would also tell you a lot. Uh, so 30, uh, so he landed 54 in round one to Max's 30. 31 in the second, kind of fell off a little bit there. Max had a good round three, 53 of 33, a good round four too, 42 of 34, or 242 to 34, and then Poirier to the 26 of 24, but the difference is like, you know, those numbers don't quite tell the story either, right? Um, what was his accuracy? 46 percent, 41 percent, 48 percent, 53 percent, 43 percent, so he was sort of middle of the road in that first round. Yeah, I have to go back through and more, uh, examine the numbers in greater detail. I just feel like he doesn't really get going until um, you know a little bit into later in the fight, so I worry about that. Conversely, if he can find a way to slow the fight down early, last, and then really dig to the body, I really wonder what that's going to do to Connor. Because Poirier can thump. My man from Louisiana has excellent power. He has excellent body shots. He likes to go to the body. If he can do that um, in close range, either with knees at distance you know with hooks or straights or jabs and whatever and then stay safe and then slowly invest over that use that to slow the fight down and then the later rounds really kind of pick up the pace on him connor might be in trouble you know he might really be in trouble i have a hard time seeing connor get finished early uh if anyone gets finished early it feels like that would happen to poirier but those are sort of the two x factors is you know what happens to poirier early And if it goes late, what happens to Connor late? Um, Semi-similar to what would be with Ferguson, but not quite. Uh, I'll do one more, and then we'll get out of here. Let's see. Uh, Okay, I'll answer this one, and then I'll... Because I have a video coming out about it, I promise. Luke, how did you like the Poirier hot sauce? Comes in this container. I never saw a review come through. It's coming. I'm going to put it out on fight week. I ordered some a couple weeks back and personally it is almost inedible. You are out of your mind. Not sure if it's my small factory town taste buds or if you had a similar experience. If you enjoyed it, let me know suggestions for meals to include it with those questions from Brandon. Brandon, you need to seek psychological counseling, buddy. I appreciate you being a part of this, but I got to tell you, you're out of your mind. It is absolutely superb. It is superb. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a bigger review coming and I'll explain why it's superb. But if what you like is small batch craftsmanship in anything, coffee, hot sauce, clothing, whatever, um, whiskeys, this is the hot sauce for you. Now, there's going to be some caveats to that. I don't think it's a hot sauce for everyone. It's designed for a certain kind of the market. But the people who make it, are they don't make anything except quality. Um So, as I'll explain next week, um, there are certain kinds of hot sauce aficionados who may pass on it, but I think for the average person, especially ones who are like trying to get into hot sauces, you know, I mean, it is absolutely delicious. He really did his homework with this one. Brandon, you got problems, bud. All right. uh, One last bit of homework, or not homework, um, update I should give you. So last week or even two weeks ago, I'm not sure, I had asked, like, is there a way to get um, you know, paid questions in again? Uh, I don't need you to send me money. But I, if I could bring that back, I would like to. Someone had the idea, and I forgot who it was. I'll find it in my emails. Someone had the idea of setting up the Super Chat, but then using all the money for that to go to charity. I would like to do that. I have to talk to CBS. I have to talk to Showtime. I have to see if it's even possible. I don't know. This is a corporate channel and it runs a little bit differently than my own channel on the back end. Like there are some weird things that this channel has in terms of uh, options that even I don't. And I've got more subs than this one. So I don't know. I don't know what the process is with that. But here's what I'm going to try and tell you. If there's a way to do that, that is what I'm going to do. I'm going to set it up so that. You could ask a question at the end of the hour. I will get to you. And then uh, all that money each week would go to charity. Yeah? Then it'd be pretty cool. So we'll see what we can do. All right? Um, thumbs up on the video. Subscribe to the channel. M- Morning Combat tomorrow. We are back. And it's going to be uh, awesome. All right? So until then, thank you guys so much for watching. Stay frosty.